Hey, it's John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and it's The Entrepreneurial You, the show for dedicated and passionate Caribbean entrepreneurs seeking daily inspiration, brought to you by author, speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur, Henneka Wakis-Porter. You must be prepared to ignite. Guess what, my friends? Guess what, guess what, guess what? It is time for another episode of The Entrepreneurial You podcast. I am your host, Henneka Wakis-Porter creator, of course, and producer of this show as well. Welcome, welcome, welcome to you, my regular listeners. And a very special welcome to you if this is your first time bouncing uh, up on the entrepreneurial you, bouncing up on the entrepreneurial you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I have been speaking to some amazing persons last week. I spoke with Herdeep Sangha, and he's a world leader in complete strategic advising. He's an award-winning author of The Complete Man and a TV show host of Mind Your Own Business. He's an entrepreneur, speaker, and podcaster. This week, I'm going a little different, taking a different turn, and I'm excited about talking with a businessman, entrepreneur, and investor with over 40 years of experience as a senior executive in both public and private-owned specialty chemicals company. But before I bring him on, of course, I have to definitely thank my sponsor who has been with me from day one. They've been my ride or die, you know, my day one people, the Jamaica Stock Exchange. And here's a word from the Jamaica Stock Exchange. And after that, I will formally introduce my guests and get our conversation going. We needed to raise capital, but our experience with local financial institutions was that they were cautious and slow to act, and interest rates were far too high. We had real concerns about financing our business through outside equity investors and the possibility of interference. Could we get a fair valuation for our business? We had our own ideas about the business and its value. Should I go the traditional route of bank financing, or should I try the Jamaica Stock Exchange? So we made a call an experienced transformation of our business through conversations. I'm John Mafood, CEO of Jamaican Teas, and we're listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Give us a call today at 876-967-3271 to begin your transformation through conversation. We want to see your company listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. My guest on episode 303 of the Entrepreneurial You podcast is Theodore Ted Clark. Ted is a businessman, entrepreneur, and investor with over 40 years of experience as a senior executive in both private and public equity-owned specialty companies, chemical companies. And Ted started as a shipping clerk, but he quickly rose through the ranks to become president and CEO of Products Research and Chemical Corporation, a global leader in aircraft and construction sealants and coatings. His new book, Buy and Build CEO, Leveraging Private Equity to Win Out to Build a Winning Global Business, chronicles Ted's 14-year adventure in high-stakes, high-reward business. Welcome, 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 Ted. It's a pleasure to have you. No, it's great to be be here with you. Thank you so much for asking me. Absolutely. So I baptize all my guests with this question, and it is, what do you know, if any, about the Jamaican culture? 
Well, that's that's actually a really good question. I mean, I guess I guess all I really know is uh, you know I live out here in Los Angeles, and uh, you know it's a big you know entertainment area, and there is uh, you know quite a bit of Jamaican art and music that's here locally. But uh, but I would say other than that, that's that's about it. Awesome, awesome. You know, I have been to Los Angeles and particularly downtown Los Angeles. Love it. It is such a buzz. It's like it reminds me a lot of Kingston, Jamaica. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it is definitely a very diverse city with all kinds of different culture and uh, art and so forth. So it is, it is a fun, it is a fun, it is a fun city to live in. Awesome sauce, awesome sauce. All right, so let us get into talking about leveraging private equity to build a winning global business. And secretly, because some person will not admit it, but secretly, I think everybody wants that, you know? They want a business that is global, that is winning. Now, let's talk about, I want you to, to take it from the very beginning. And because I, I, I know that our audience, we have audience, you know, that run the gamut of, you know, experienced entrepreneurs to they're just kind of getting their feet wet or even at the ideation stage. So let's talk about, first and foremost, when we talk about private equity, what exactly are we talking about, Ted? Sure. So private equity is um, it's the opposite of public equity, I guess, the way you would think about it, right? So, you know, with public companies, you have an opportunity as an individual investor to, you know, buy shares of uh, all the great companies that are listed on the public stock exchange with private equity it's they're usually firms that then work with you know large pension funds or college endowments or insurance companies who are looking to invest money and get uh, returns on that and so the first thing private equity funds they go raise a fund they go they get you know people to uh, commit money to their fund and then what they do is they look for and source opportunities to invest alongside entrepreneurs or existing management teams or you know potentially take you know private companies the family owned companies to uh, to more privately invested companies and sometimes taking uh, public companies private right so it's an asset class that tends to outperform uh, public companies and therefore you know, every every large, you know, pension fund, retirement fund, et cetera, will allocate a little bit of capital, some capital to private equity investing. It helps them bring up the average returns on on their other investments in things like stocks and bonds and so forth. All right. Great, great, uh, great response, Ted. So you said something which is quite poignant for me, Ted, and is that the private equity uh, dealing usually tend to outperform publicly listed companies. Why is that though? Why do you think that is? Um, well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Well, one one is that you know typically a private equity firm will look for what they're really trying to do is partner with good businesses. So first of all, in the main, they're not trying to do turnaround businesses or things like that. They're trying to find good businesses in markets that have very positive macro trends and that are well run and then they're also looking for kind of a, a growth story you know how can they help the management grow those businesses to be you know bigger and more profitable and create something what i like to say is uh, you know worth more than the sum of the parts right so in many cases they'll buy a company and then they'll look to add you know a number of other companies to it 
to create a larger enterprise that's more valuable than when they started. And, and so that's primarily why. I mean, it's style of investing where the, the board of directors of the company, as an example, is more focused on strategic and operational issues uh, on a more regular basis than potentially the board of a public company. Awesome, awesome sauce. Now we want to find out at this very early stage of our conversation, Ted, how does one, you know, find the right fit? So the right equity partner to the right business. You know, let's let's talk about that matching, that fits. Yeah, sure. So well I'll talk a little bit about my, my story here because mm-hmm. um, I, I I had become an entrepreneur later in life, right? I was close to fifty years old. I had worked in public companies and I had I had run uh a large subsidiary of a, of a public company for some time in a specific industry. And I developed a strategy to uh, participate in the consolidation of that industry uh, by using my, you know, my knowledge and contacts and so forth. But to do that, I needed to buy a company. I needed, I needed to start somewhere. And so I looked for a private equity firm that, would, that had some experience in one, specialty chemicals, and two, in sort of buy and build, uh, you know, they had experience in a buy and build strategy for investing and they had a relatively new fund uh, so they could support the initial acquisitions and add-ons. And so I did go through a process, which I outline in my book about, you know, not every private equity firm is the same, right? You really have to look at finding the right fit between yourself as an operator and your partner and your new partner, which is the private equity firm. So that you know that you have a, what I call a shared vision between yourself and the private equity firm as to the type of business that you want to build. And, you know, as an investor, you know, you want to start with the end in mind, right? You want to, you, you want to start, you know, your process by sort of understanding where you want to go, right? So that over a period of five or six years, you know, you're on the right track or not. So that's one of the most more critical things if you're considering partnering with private equity, you really want to consider and do your homework and do your due diligence on the private equity firms that you're talking with to determine which one would be the best to support your strategy. Mm-hmm. I know, is it, is it, um, is it in chemistry, opposite attract and like particles repel each other? That's, a, that's the theory. So yeah. when you're going for a partner, are you looking for somebody, a partner who is like you in terms of, you know, the modus operandi, how you go about things? So where are where do you start looking for the likeness versus where do you need to look at a divergence, you know, where you have difference of, of opinions of ways of operating? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is is trying to find a partner who has invested in the same sector that you're trying to build a business in, right? So you want to have some some partners that as an example in specialty chemicals, there's some unique characteristics in, in terms of safety, health and safety and environmental protection and so forth that you have to be very cognizant of and understand the you know how to manage those things and so you want a partner that that will support operating a company in a, in a sustainable safe way over a period of time right so so having uh, partners that understand that 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 maybe have operated in the markets that you're selling into helps a lot because you know when you're talking about the future, you're always talking about what's, you know, I call it the kind of a, an aspirational but achievable uh, vision, right? So, you know, you have to push the envelope a little bit, but you have to have a vision and a plan and a strategy that's achievable. And then you have to have a partner who's investing money with you 
that believes in that plan. And so, you know, again, it's uh, it has a lot to do uh, with that. You also have to realize you're going to be with this partner for the next five to seven years. So, you know, it's like interviewing for a, a job or, you know, any, any type of partnership, even a, a personal relationship. You know, you want to do your due diligence on both sides and spend more time up front really trying to understand if, is this the right is this the right partner for me going forward? So I would say, you know, the front end of these private equity deals are really important to do your diligence. They'll they'll certainly do their diligence on you as a, as a partner, as an operator as well. And uh, and so it's an important part of the process. And I think if you do that right, it, it puts you in good shape to, you know, whatever storms you're going to weather, because in every business, you know, it's not a straight line to, to success, right? So. Right. So on the, the journey, you know, as a startup, you, you are encouraged to come up with your minimum viable product, you know, not wait until you reach a particular quality or whatever before you launch. You, you launch with what is that minimum viable uh, product. Now, similarly, I want to think of um, what the concept called, which I'm creating, the minimum viable state of readiness, MVSR. <laughs> so what would be in your mind and perhaps even based on your experience, Ted, the minimum viable state of readiness that uh, a startup, a business needs to have before they even think about um, considering taking on private equity in their business? Yeah, well, I guess a couple of things, you know, um, but I should step back a little bit. Private equity investors are typically going to be investing in, like I said earlier, good companies. And, you know, part of being a good company is having reliable cash flows, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, part of what you're doing it, when you're setting setting something like this up is you're again in this due diligence phase you're looking at you know what kind of cash flows has the company has the company historically generated and and how much debt could that company take on and still still have the ability to you know kind of deleverage you know you take on debt when you do a private equity deal and you want to deleverage that debt and you want to look if you're looking for acquisitions you want to look for the EBITDA or the cash flow of the candidate of the target that you're looking at, and then also whatever synergies you're going to gain, right? And so at the start, to get back to your question, at the start, it's really about that business plan that really understands all these uh, characteristics of, of your strategy. So, you know, the plan and strategy has to be such that, you know, when you start, you know, you have a pretty good, you, you, there's no guarantees, but you have a pretty good sense that, you know, you're going to be able to generate enough cash to pay down debt, to go out and do additional deals, to drive organic growth, uh, to invest in capital, et cetera, et cetera. So having a fully formed business plan, uh, being able to set up the capital structure right at the very beginning is that you don't want to take on too much debt so that you're handcuffed and you can't go out and invest in the business. But you want to use the balance sheet. I mean, clearly one of the reasons you get good returns with private equity investing is because you use the balance sheet in a way to kind of reinvest in the business so that you can drive organic growth and potentially inorganic growth, M&A, et cetera, to uh, gain returns that are going to be higher than, you know, sort of your peer kind of public companies. All right. You mentioned something, Joe, I want you to spend a little more time on, Ted, and it's the concept of deleveraging. Um, kind of explain on that a little more for us, please. Yeah, sure. So, you know, when you're setting up the original balance sheet, it's going to have, you know, you're going to put in equity. So you're putting in the uh, 
equity, your own equity and that of the private equity company. And then you're going to borrow a little bit. So you get a little leverage on the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And then what you're going to want to do is have a business plan in place that kind of spells out what it is you're going to, you know, the steps you're going to take to continue to grow the business. And then what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to try and reduce your debt through your own, through the cash flow that you generate on a kind of consistent and reliable basis, right? So as you're reducing your debt, it gives you the opportunity to continue to invest in the business through the use of the rest of the cash flow that you have, right? Or to go out and borrow more money, right? So the idea is really when you're doing kind of a buy and build M&A. You, you have a buy and build what? Uh, buy, uh, buy and build mergers and acquisitions. So uh, thank you. <laughs> sorry for the jargon. Uh, that's okay. We just want to make sure that, you know, everybody's clear that's listening. Yeah. So. Yeah, so the idea really is um, you again you use the you know you use the cash flow of the of your company and then you use the cash flow of the company that you acquire. You use the cost savings that you get by putting two companies together, and then you use all that cash to really try and drive down the uh, the debt of the company, and then put yourself in a position to maybe make another acquisition. And if, you know, in my case, we made 19 acquisitions over 14 years to build a company from you know, 35 million and 5 million in cash flow to 640 million in sales and uh, 140 million in cash flow. And use that process of sort of using our own cash flow to kind of drive the growth. So the way that you make money in in this is that you put in the original amount of equity and then you really try to use the company's cash flow to fund all the rest of the business development over a period of time to create a larger company. All right. Awesome. So said, I want us to touch on team and, and how that helps in the whole grand scheme of things. But before I do that, let me just pause. And I want to encourage those who are listening via the podcast to go and request to become a member of the Entrepreneurial You Facebook group. Yes, it was um, inactive for a while. We have big plans for that group and the community members that are there. So if you are an entrepreneur thinking about being an entrepreneur and know an entrepreneur, and I'm sure that's everybody, then you are encouraged to send a request to be a part of the Facebook community on um, the Entrepreneurial You group, that group on Facebook. So please go ahead. We are going to be doing some big things in that group, and it's exclusive to persons who are part of the Entrepreneurial You posse, as we say in Jamaica. All right, so let's get back to this interesting, intriguing, and insightful, uh, having all my eyes going on there, um, conversation with Ted Clark. And Ted is just a wealth of knowledge and experience as it relates to private um, private equity, what he's been able to do with his business, you know, getting investors and himself now investing in businesses, right? And acquiring all those other businesses, large assets and stuff. So let's talk about the team um from the get-go ted what was it like for you and how much did you have to change and shift around um until you get the right fit you know talking about the team uh, you know that i was trying to think of it in the bigger universe right so the so for me the team is the investors the board the management team mm-hmm. you know the employees you know to a large extent it's also to the suppliers and you know, and of course, I think even, you know, you know, the customers are probably the most, you know, the most important part of the team, but I always like to feel everybody's kind of part of the team. But 
in the end, the team is the most important thing, and particularly in my business, which is what we call a capital light business, where it's about um, the intellectual the, the intellectual capability of the team, their expertise. You know, as an example, I mean, you know, if you're running a chemical company, you have, you know, you have lots of, uh, you know, chemists and other technical people. You have, you know, chemical engineers. You know, you've got, you know, sales and marketing specialists and so forth. And so, you know, for me, the t- you know, building the team's always been the most important thing. And uh, and I think the biggest part of building a team is making sure that everyone that's on, you know, beginning with a senior leadership team has the same vision for the company going forward. And then I also like, you know, I, I like the team to work together in an integrated way, right, rather than in silos. So, you know, the HR team is, in my mind, just as important as the operations team and sales and marketing teams just as important as the HR team. So, so we try not to, we try to create like a team of experts, you know, that are driving to that, you know, you know, driving to the same goal and vision and um, doing that, you know, bringing in people. Uh, what I tried to do with my company is I tried to find and recruit people that were working at or had experience working at larger companies so that they knew they were experts in their functions. Right. So they really were good at like, you know, I bring in an HR person and run a company three or four times bigger than mine, an operations person the same way sales and marketing person. Then I try to bring them in and then get them all to work together around our our goal of taking the small company and making it into a big company, right? Which is which is tricky, right? Because you you know your team really has to believe that they can do that, right? And you know, it's like everything else, you have um setbacks and you know economic issues happening and other different challenges over in my case over about a 14 year period. And, you know, you'd really need to get people to uh, be resilient and to overcome those things without sort of losing track of the idea of where we're going and, you know, where we want to go and, and that, you know, how we're going to get there. So, yeah, I, I think I think team for my businesses have always been the most important consideration as the as the, as the leader of, of the business. Awesome. And um, it sounds like it all came together so nicely at the beginning. But was that the case, though, Ted? Did you, was it was it initially also jelly and, you know, and smooth sailing? Yeah, it's um, it's never smooth sailing. I mean, it's actually working in private equity as a leader. What you have to get used to is working in ambiguous situations. Right. This, because all the parts don't come together right away, right? So, you know, you start at one place and you're trying to get someplace else and all kinds of things happen in between. But I, I look at it in phases and each each phase got harder and harder, right? So the first phase was, you know, I need to go find somebody to partner with in private equity. And that took about six months to go through and do all that. And then once that was done, I need to go out and buy my first company, right? So I started this without a company and uh, went out and we, look to acquire a platform company or the basis for building out our strategy. And I had a year to do that. So, you know, that's that needs a lot of pressure there to find the right company and get that deal done. And then after that, it's, you know, they say, and I think people are right to think this, that, you know, the, the riskiest thing in business is, is uh, two things. You know, one is uh, moving a factory from one place to another place. And the other one is integrating, you know, mergers and acquisitions, right? So uh, we had to get really good at that. 
you know, as I said, it's a people business, you know, and you're buying lots of different companies. You have lots of different points of view um, coming into your business and you have to, you know, work hard to manage that. And sometimes people don't, you know, don't quite get all the way there and you have to make, you know, some tough decisions along the way. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, I tell people in retrospect that, you know, it feels like if, you know, once you've done it, it's like, okay, I did it. It was, you know, but when you're doing it, it's, it's hard and it's, but it's exciting and it's challenging. And, you know, if you do it right, it can be, it can be a lot of fun, right? It's, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity to really, you know, to st- stretch yourself and get, you know, get well beyond your comfort zone. I mean, that's, you have to be prepared to do that if you're going to, if you're going to really try to build and scale a business, you know, fairly rapidly and success and to do it successfully. As you share about the different acquisitions that you've been doing over time, one of the questions that comes to mind, Ted, is the integration of culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because then naturally how you're doing things, you're used to doing things versus how things are being done over there and integrating that into what you're doing. Tell me about what that process has been like for you. Yeah, that, you know, in my mind, it's more important than even the original, you know, the original business plan and strategy, right? So once you start to do this, you have to kind of build out what is the culture, what culture do you want, right? So I think it's important that uh, even even with a small business for you to set out, like, you know, what does it mean to be, in our case, Royal Adhesives and Sealants? Like, what are we trying to do? You know, how do we how do we all want to behave, you know, both internally and externally? You know, what are our core values? And then, honestly, as the leader, you have to really live those values. You, you know, you have to be the one that communicates it. They have to communicate it like often and uh, and consistently, and then you have to live it right. So, uh, and then when, and when you do that, I think it's so powerful. It's it's such a powerful way to build a team, and particularly in private equity, because I said it's it's an ambiguous situation, right? Because you're, you know, you're depending upon the idea that you can find these acquisitions. You're depending upon the idea that you can, you know, you can integrate them. You know, depending upon the idea that you can get everybody to row in the same direction to build a business, and you're doing it very, very quickly, right? You know, you're spending lots and lots of time uh, doing this very, very quickly, and really, in the end, the thing that makes the difference is the culture of the company. Um, and you know, you want to be proud of the company when you're done as well, right? You want to, you want to look back and say, you know, what uh, we did this, we did it correctly. You know, we didn't cut corners. We didn't take advantage of people. We communicated well, and we were transparent, right? So, I, you know, for me, one of my big cultural tenets is to to be very open about what we're trying to accomplish and achieve, and how, what our results are today. And you know, and what that means is not just telling people the good news; it means telling them the bad news, and also telling them, you know, what what challenges we have and what impacts those challenges could have. Because sometimes leaders are afraid to tell their teams that. Hey, we could be in trouble here, you know, if we, if we don't do something, right? And you know, I don't want to worry you, but I, I also want to be honest with you. This, these are the things we have to overcome uh, to be successful. And you know, being transparent and open, I think it's always helped me. Leave it at that. But uh, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Some of what you said earlier, I, a wise man once says, uh, "Culture eats strategy for breakfast." <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. All right. So there are two questions I have for you. One, I think, let me leave that one until the last, but as it relates to building, you know, 
that business, that winning global business and leveraging private equity? What would be your your summer thoughts around that for those that are listening? So just give us your summer thoughts around that concept. Yeah, well, I think, uh, and one of the things that I talk about in my book is that, you know, I, I had been running a, a, a global business, right? So one of the things about doing this is, you you know, I wanted to build a business that that I could use all the skills that I had learned over, you know, a 25-year period and uh, and put them to use doing something. So building a global business was always on my mind from the very start when we bought just a small Midwestern company to start this off with. And uh, part of the, the big issue there is, you know, as you grow your businesses and work with your customers, your customers begin to expect that you're going to be global, right? So if you're working with companies like Boeing or General Motors or, you know, uh, Mercedes or, you know, BMW or BYK and or BKD in China, Kia, these types of people, you have, you, you know, you really, to, to service them properly, you, you need to be global at some point, right? So, that was really the goal from the beginning uh, for me. It uh, was part of our strategy. And it was kind of part of it in my DNA and how I, I had previously run sealant adhesive businesses prior to that. Awesome. You mentioned, and it wasn't missed on me, that when you got started, you were close to 50. Yeah. Speak to someone right now, perhaps even in their 30s, and think, oh my gosh, woe is me, I'm done because I haven't started anything. Yeah, it's, um, I, was, I was really close. I was 49, I think, when I said, when I, started to do this but uh you know i had um experience i had done well in uh public companies and it's a big leap right because you can get pretty comfortable in a public company right you know you're paid well and you know you, you, know, you get all the perks and all that stuff and you know you travel all over the world and to leave that and to start you know basically with nothing right to start from with an idea was a scary thing to do when you're 49 years old, right? Because, you know, what if it fails, right? Now I'll, I'll lose, you know, another two or three years of my useful, useful life of, of being in business. It was something I really had to spend some time considering doing, but I fancied myself as kind of entrepreneur in my work in public companies, right? So I was always pushing hard to grow my Innovate business. Innovate and all mm-hmm. these things. And you know, it, it occurred to me at uh, one time, the larger company I was with got sold and, you know, lots of people made money, but I didn't. Right. So it was kind of like, you know what, I, I think I'd like to try and start my own my own business on my own account with the goal. My goal was to become a capitalist. Right. I mean, in the real sense of the word that I wanted to create enough wealth for myself that I could re- that I could then invest in private equity. Right. So, you know, I could go out uh, and, you know, since then I have this couple of my own sort of family companies and other things that I've done, but I wanted to uh, create enough value for myself so that I could uh, take a little bit more charge of, you know, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to invest and, and uh, make decisions about capital allocation. That's really what drove me to, to build a successful business. Awesome. And I, I think I would have said finally, but finally, <laughs> I want to hear about a little more in summary about your, your new book, um, Buy and Build a CEO, Leveraging Private Equity to Build a Winning Global Business. Yeah. Well, what, what, what inspired that? Yeah, well, I, well, I, wrote, I, I wrote a book uh, prior to that. It's my second book, actually. So the first book was really about, you know, starting as a shipping clerk and becoming a CEO. And then the and I was a shipping clerk at my fir- one of my first jobs, too. Yes. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And then that, the second book was really about, I, I just found the, 
the idea of working with private equity was a fascinating experience for me. And it's really written, it's really about that, but it's also written from an operator's point of view. So it's written from, it's sort of written to other people that would be like me. Maybe you're 45 or 50 or whatever, and you're running a division of a public company and you know, you know your markets well, you're well respected in your industry and you want to, you want to start your own business or you want to participate, drive your own strategy. And so it, it, the book talks about how to do that, right? You know, how to, how to pitch a private equity group, how to develop a strategy, how to, uh, how to get the financing in place, you know, how to uh, develop an M&A sourcing strategy, how to uh, integrate uh, businesses, how to stay focused on your long-term goals. And so it's, it's, it's really a book about, you know, using this kind of alternative set of capital, this private equity capital to create your own business rather than sort of working in a big public company. You know, that, I mean, it, if I was just, that's what I was kind of after when I wrote the book. Awesome sauce. All right. So thank you so much, Ted Clark. And before you go, we want to hear how it is that we can get your book one and just be in contact with you. Sure. Um, well, the book you can get on, uh, you know, on Amazon uh, and, uh, and other e-book retailers. And then if you want to learn more about me, you can go to my uh, website, which is tedclarkauthor.com. And there uh, will be uh, information on the books, articles, and uh, other things that I've written about uh, private equity and, uh, and, uh, and other business subjects. So that's the best way. All right. Awesome, awesome, awesome sauce. Again, I want to thank you. And I have been speaking with Ted Clark. Thank you so much, Ted. My pleasure. Thank you. Ted, as you would have caught at the beginning, is a businessman, entrepreneur, investor. He has over 40 years of experience in both, um, you know, as a senior executive, both with public and private equity owned, especially uh, specialty chemical companies. And the interesting thing about Ted is that he rose from being a shipping clerk to um, becoming the president and CEO of Products Research and Chemical Corporation. And they've just been doing the global impact thing. You know, they're a global leader in aircraft and construction sealants and coatings. Check out his new book, Buy and Build CEO, Leveraging Private Equity to Build a Winning Global Business. Such a pleasure it has been. The main takeaway for me from this episode, this conversation with Ted, may not necessarily have anything to do with private equity, which is what we've been talking about, but more to do with the fact that he said when he just got started in his business, he was 49, people 49 years old. A lot of persons are in their 30s and they're frustrated, they're thinking they haven't done anything with their lives. You perhaps are in your 30s, you're thinking that to yourself, you haven't done anything and you are just a waste of time. Well, no, it's never too late to start. And we've seen many, many um, instances. We've read about many, many instances where people have started very late. When we look at the Colonel, the KFC, um, I don't remember what age he started. I think it was 60 or something to that effect. But it was it was not early. It was not in his 20s. It was not um, even in his 30s, right? So don't be put off by the fact that you may not have accomplished your goals in the time that you you would you thought you would have and the, the, the timelines that you set for yourself. Just pick up the pieces today. Today is another opportunity for you to pick up the pieces and move forward. Don't let another five years pass, another three years pass, another 10 years pass, and you look back and you say, what if? 
today is an opportunity for you to correct that wrong, um, that you that injustice that you've done to yourself. You know, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to the world to be the best that you can possibly be. What has been your standout moment from this episode? Um, so really glad that you've joined us. I would love to hear for you to um love for you to send your feedback uh, at hennikawatkisporter at gmail.com. Henneka Watkins Porter, you can find me wherever on social media. And you're also invited to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast app. So whether it's I um I was about to say iTunes, but it's Apple Podcast. So whether it's Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, um, you name it. There are a myriad of podcast apps. And for those of you who don't know how to find a podcast app, let me just tell you, if you're using the iPhone, bless your heart, because it comes the, the Apple podcast app that little purple icon comes preloaded on your phone so you have no excuse right you just go there and you search for the entrepreneurial you and you hit follow i think it's follow is a term no i'm not subscribe or whatever that little tick you check that button and you you are able to access the entrepreneurial you or for those of you who are android users god bless you know i was there no longer uh just go into the the store and look for podcast app just putting podcast up and a mirror of them will populate your search and you select the one that you think you want to work with you look do the same thing once you've downloaded it on your phone all you have to do is put in the entrepreneurial you and you subscribe and you can get to listen forever and ever amen right you can also connect with me for all things podcasting at clinicalwhatisporter.com it has been so much my pleasure to have this podcast up for you now, as usual, you know, I end with according to the scriptures and let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Psalm 107, verse 22. What good.